I think a common fear to most people is to learn a second language. Um, second languages can really make adults seem quite foolish when you have to learn them later in life. When Carol and I were going overseas to Austria, we had to learn German, and, um, and it was a fairly challenging language. And um, one experience we had that kind of highlighted the challenge of it is um, Carol's driving to a town named Baden. And uh, so Carol was, couldn't find her way, and of course there was no cell phones and GPS and all that, so Carol asked, you know, she just basically said, I'm going to Baden looking for directions. And the man just started laughing at her. And um, she, of course, then asked in German if he spoke English, and he said he did, and he gave her directions. Anyway, she came back home, fit to be tied, just so angry, right? And so she tells a friend of ours on our team who was from the uh, German-speaking part of Switzerland. She was a team member of ours, and she said the same thing, Ich gehe Baden, you know, I'm going to Baden. And she started laughing, and so Carol said, what did I just say? And... Uh, she said, you said that you're going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you're going to bathe, is what it was. You have to say it differently in German. It has to, you have to put a couple different words in there. And, uh, but it makes you feel very, very foolish. Languages are hard, but, but when, we look at the, when we look at the Psalms, it's a book of languages for worship. I, I want to look with you at this book as a whole to develop in you verse, uh, various languages with which you can communicate and worship God. Uh, the, the book of Psalms is just that. It's teaching us how to speak to God, how to approach God. I want to do it as an overview. Now, about six or seven years ago, I did an overview of the first five books of the Old Testament. And the idea is to kind of take a 5,000-foot view and look at the book as a whole and see the position and the place that it has in the life of the Christian. It kind of helps you see kind of the map as a whole, and I'm, I'm hoping that you'll then jump into the book and you'll read it and enjoy it. I want to do this through the wisdom literature or the writings, that is, Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. We won't do Job in a few years. I want to do a series on that, and I'll do an overview before I do the series. So we'll start with Psalms. Now, Psalms are unique. They are a unique book. I mean, I think most of us love the Psalms probably more than any of the Old Testament books. Why? Because it's understandable. I mean, you can read it and understand it. You can read it and find it to be applicable to you. It speaks to this wide range of emotions. The book of Psalms is actually the longest book in the Bible. It contains the shortest chapter, Psalm 117, and the longest chapter, Psalm 119. Uh, Jesus quotes from the book of Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. In fact, in fact, no other Old Testament book is quoted more in the New Testament than the Psalms. Over 400 times it's quoted. It, it's a book that spans from Moses all the way to the return from the exile in the ministries of Ezra and Nehemiah. It's a unique book in the sense that outside of Proverbs, it's the only book that has multiple authors. David wrote 73 of them. Moses wrote one. Solomon wrote two. The sons of Korah wrote 10. Asaph, a musician, wrote 12. And probably more than 40 have no author listed. 
So it's a, it's a unique book as it stands in the scriptures. Now, I want you to know that when you begin to read it, it isn't organized thematically or chronologically. It's just a collection of poems, really. In fact, the word psalm just means song set to a musical instrument. Or the Hebrew title means praises. So it's these poems that are kind of compiled together in five different books. And each book ends with its own doxology, words of praise. So the first book ends in Psalm 41, and the next book ends in Psalm 72, and the next book ends in Psalm 89, and 105, and 150. So you see this clear editing work compiling these, and it took place over David's reign, and Hezekiah's reign, and Ezra's reign. So they're all brought together to be studied. Now the door to this treasure is Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. They're put there as kind of gateposts leading us into this beautiful book. In Psalm 1, you have this call, as, as Ali read, you have this call for the worshiper to, to live by the wisdom of God, to live by the wisdom of God and prosper. And then Psalm 2, if you were to read it, it's to long for this king coming this kingdom of God. So Psalms 1 and 2 kind of ask the worshiper, come, live by the wisdom of God, and long for the king that will come from God. And then, of course, it ends in Psalm 145 all the way to 150. Those are all psalms of praise. And the last thing written in the book of Psalms is let everything that has breath, that's us, praise the Lord. Let everything praise the Lord. Now, the purpose of this book, as I said, it was Israel's hymn book. The purpose is to develop in you a language, languages with which you can speak to God. It, it's, it was picked up by the early church. There's the continuity between the Old and the New Testament. Colossians 3.16, if you remember studying that a couple weeks back, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms hymns and spiritual songs. So we're to sing these, we're to speak about these. Now the Psalms themselves are unique in, in one other way, and that is this, that most of the Bible is really God revealing himself to us. We learn about God, we learn about Christ, we learn about the people of God, but the Psalms are us speaking to God. So Athanasius, the great church father of the fourth century, said most of the scriptures speak to us, but the Psalms speak for us. They give us a language of worship. They give us a language of approaching God in all the facets of life. And so what I want to do is just two things today. One is I want you to become more familiar with the Psalms, to become familiar with them that you might begin to read them. And then we also want to develop a fluency with them, a fluency that we'll be able to speak these different languages. John Calvin, the, the reformer of the, of the uh, 16th century, said these words. He said, What various and resplendent riches are contained in this treasury, an anatomy of all parts of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious of that is not here represented in this mirror. So let's become familiar with them. So I will post my notes on the web. I just want you to listen. We're going to do this kind of this flyover, and we're going to post more information about the nature of the Psalms on the web. 
this week, so don't worry about taking a lot of notes. I'm going to cover a lot of ground. But I want, to become, I want you to become familiar with these psalms. So the first psalms we're going to look at are psalms of praise. Psalms of praise. Now, a psalm of praise is simply giving thanks to God, recognizing his greatness. I mean, the Psalter is dominated by praise, this overwhelming sense of awe before God. These psalms of praise normally begin with a call to praise. So a psalmist will call the people to praise God because he's worthy. And then the psalmist gives reasons why we should praise God. So there's a call to praise, and then there are reasons for which we ought to give praise. And then there's a return, again, to praising God. Now, we praise God for the psalmist reminds us of his nature, his holiness, his power, his perfections, his beauty, his kindness, and his mercy. And yet we also praise God for his power in acts of creation, governance over the nations, in salvation itself. So the psalmist is calling us to praise. Let me give you some examples. So in Psalm 113, this is one of the Hillel Psalms. This is a psalm that Jesus would have said as he left the Lord's Supper at Passover. He says, praise the Lord, you his servants. (coughs) Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So he's calling us to praise over all time and over all places. Why? Well, the Lord is exalted above the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high and stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. So it's a call to praise, and then he tells us why, because God's so worthy. Or Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. I mean, this praising of God for his creation, and then why does he care for us? Or Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So he's giving us a reason. He's saying, praise him, but now here's why. He's made you. You're the sheep of his pasture. So the psalmist is trying to help us praise God. He's trying to give us words with which we can approach God and give him thanks for his sustaining love, his mercy. I mean, you can praise him for creation. You can praise him for his work in your life. You can praise him for your salvation. Notice that he looks down on the poor and the lowly. We want to thank God for our salvation. Why do you worship? I mean, when, when you come into worship on Sunday morning, what is on your heart and mind? When you sing, why are you singing? Is it you like the song? Maybe you don't sing because you don't like the song. But what should be the object of our worship if it shouldn't be God? I mean, the, the, the character of God <clears throat> and the actions of God are to be the fuel with which we th- give him praise, worship his name, enjoy him. I mean, think about it. S- sometimes when you come in, you don't maybe feel like singing, you don't feel like worshiping, or your mind's distracted. Knowing the character and the power and the beauty of God, and that being the object of your attention, it leads to a deeper worship. So there are many psalms of praise in the scripture. If you struggle with praising God, if you struggle with thinking on the greatness of God, then you read a psalm, 
And you allow the psalm to be your words. Okay, another psalm, another language we need to learn is the language of lament. These are psalms of lament. This is a psalm where, where we are expressing our frustration, our confusion. We're, ex- we're expressing our sense of abandonment by God. I mean, th- th- this is a... <clears throat> the songs of lament make up more than a third of the song, psalms. Sometimes they contain the harshest language, bringing about judgment. These are called the imprecatory psalms. But these songs of lament are for us to express to God our, what are you doing, God? Why do you feel so far away from us? They're songs to express the hurt and the anguish. Here's how they work. <clears throat> the psalmist speaks and tells God that he's confused, that he's troubled, he's angry, he feels abandoned. And and then he lays out his case before God. He says, this is why I feel the way I do. And then he petitions God for help. And then he turns around and declares his ultimate trust in God. These psalms are extremely instrumental for us. Let me read just a couple to you. Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day? I have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My love shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Or or this one, Psalm 22. This is a psalmist speaking now. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the wounds of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. I cry by night, but I find no rest. And yet you are enthroned in the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Again, here we learn the language of being able to confess to God our frustration and our bitterness, our anger, our resentment over the way our life is going. I think this is why they're so well loved, because they're so realistic. You know, you realize that all of us will face troubles. We all will face trials. Even the strongest of Christian, when they face trials, will begin to think that God is distant from far removed and, and, and almost as if God is punishing me. You know, every one of us is one phone call away from devastating news. It's all it takes. One phone call, accident, doctor's report, somebody died, job loss. We're one phone call. That's how precarious life is on this planet right now. And yet we have words given to us that we can appeal to God, that we can express our frustration and do it in a reverent manner where we can tell him we're broken, we're hurting. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran theologian and pastor in Germany at the end of World War II. He was uh, considered an enemy of Hitler and imprisoned and uh, eventually was hung. Uh, But at the very end of his life, here's what he wrote about the Psalms. It was his last, I think, work was on the Psalms. He says, I am reading the Psalms daily as I have done for years. I know them and love them 
more than any book in the Bible. These were the psalms that were upholding him as he's facing his own execution. So these psalms of lament are important for us. Do you think it's unscriptural to complain to God? Do you think it's unspiritual to be able to express your frustration to God? Jesus did. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He expressed that. We have been given the words so we can do it in a godly way. And we can appeal to God for help. I mean, what are you facing right now that you feel forsaken, that you feel abandoned? Have you spoken to God? I mean, have you appealed to him? Have you expressed your frustration over the long-term nature of your prayers that you've prayed and they have not been answered in the way that you've desired? Have you been afraid? Does he not know it? Does he not know? It It just causes this, this kind of hypocrisy in our own soul. Express it freely to God, but do it reverently. Because all these psalms of lament, except for 89 or 88, all of them end with a declaration of trust. We know you'll come through, God. Sustain us in it. Another psalm, another language I want you to learn is the language of thanksgiving. To give thanks to God. Now, a a, a psalm of thanksgiving is, is different than a psalm of praise. A psalm of thanksgiving is we are stating to God, we're expressing our thankfulness to God over his deliverance in our life. That it starts out this way. It's a call for thanks. And then the psalmist states, here's why you're thanking him. And then it's a return to thanksgiving. These are individual and they're communal. Some are done by the individual psalmist and some are done by the assembled body, giving thanks to God. Let me read you a few of them. Psalm 30, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and you did not let my enemies exalt over me. I called you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord. You, his faithful people, praise his name. Or in Psalm 138, I will give thanks to you, O God, for my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down to you in your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and faithfulness. You have been exalted above all things. On this day I called and you answered me. So here, the psalmist is giving us words to give thanks to God. Now, would you consider yourself a thankful person? And, and would others in your family think that you're thankful? I mean, do, do you tend to give thanks quickly? Or, or think of something over the last year, perhaps, that you were facing, some trial, some hardship. Maybe it was job, maybe it was health, maybe it was a relationship. And you were struggling with it. You were worried about it. Maybe you even prayed about it. And, and it, it's a year ago or two years ago. And now where you are, you're through it. Either he sustained you or he delivered you or he answered your prayers. But did you thank him for it? Did you just stop and thank him for what he did for you? Or maybe it was some other issue that you faced, and and you really did pray to him, and and then maybe there was a month or two delay, and then you're just, yeah, I'm glad that's passed. But did you thank him? I, I struggle sometimes in my life, I think many of us do, we tend to be like the lepers. Remember the lepers that Jesus healed? So he's walking along the road, and he sees these ten lepers. Now, remember what leprosy is. Leprosy is a disease that was more than just a deterioration. You know, it's a deadening of the nerves. Your body begins to get injured. You don't care for it. It begins to just 
uh, appear physically in the deterioration of your body. But that was really not the worst part of leprosy. What leprosy is, is simply an isolation from people because you couldn't be with people. And, and so you had to be isolated from them and you felt isolated from God because you couldn't go in the temple. And so these 10 lepers are coming by and Jesus sees them and heals them. He heals all 10 of them. But he doesn't heal them instantly. He heals them and as they go away, they begin to see things restored. Can you imagine? I mean, those without, I mean, a finger, all of a sudden a finger appears. Perhaps those who have lost an ear, an ear appears. And they begin to walk away, and they're overwhelmed. The, the nature of this miracle is showing that Jesus Christ has come to deliver, to come to show that he is going to reconcile God and man together. And, and so as these men are walking away, they're being healed before their eyes. And it says, only one came back to give thanks. And so the Samaritan came back and gave thanks to Christ. And Jesus said, we're not ten healed. We're the other nine. I mean, what has God done in your life that we haven't thanked him? We look at these nine lepers and we think, how could you be so ungrateful? And yet God gives us breath. He gives us life. He sustains us. He answers the prayers that you've forgotten, you've asked. And, and, and we don't thank him for it. I mean, we want to be a grateful, a thankful people. Think about your salvation. I mean, as we sang these songs about the, the surety that we have, that, that to be thinking upon our own salvation. So John Newton, you've heard me say it a half a dozen times. He was a slave trader, comes and sound conversion, right? Lives his life for God. He never forgot that he was saved. He never forgot from which God saved him. Even put it on his tombstone at his death, that he was once a slave trader. Are you thankful for the salvation that Christ has done for you? I mean, you may have a lot of things burning in your life right now, but, but can you stop for just one minute and think, he opened my eyes to sin in my life. He opened my eyes to the glory of God. He opened my eyes to Christ being a kind and benevolent Savior. I mean, do we ever want to tire of that? Don't we always want to thank him? I never want to finish thanking him. We sing that song, thank you. When you see him, what do you think you will do? You will sing a psalm of thankfulness. You will thank him for how he delivered you. And not just in your salvation, but a thousand other ways. Think through that with me. So that's a language we need to learn. Another language is the language of confession or repentance. This is another type of psalm, a penitential psalm. This is here. These psalms are very instructive for us to learn, to give us words, because when we, in our sin, maybe you've acted in ways that were very destructive this past week, or perhaps in your thoughts you've nursed and meditated on lust or anger or bitterness, and these psalms lead us back to God. These psalms of penitence lead us back to God in terms of receiving reconciliation. Let me read you just a few of these. This was Augustine. He was a church father from the 4th century. This was his favorite. Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Wouldn't he be the happy man? where God would look at you and he counts no iniquity, no sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away 
through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my sin. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayers to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they will not reach you. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Or this one you know. In Psalm 51, David, after the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. You see, he appeals to God's love here, not to his purity of confession, not to his being resolute to never do that again. It's strictly on God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The psalmist is giving us words so that when you and I are in sin, we don't have to make all these false promises to ourselves that we're not going to sin again, but we can appeal to God. These are words that take us back to God to be reconciled. Or Psalm 130, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? I mean, these are words for us. That when you're knee deep in sin, you're the one, you turn to Psalm 130 and you say, hear my voice, be attentive to me, to my cry for mercy. Be honest. This is what I love about the scriptures. Scriptures are so much more honest than we are. If you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman waits for the morning. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. How often do you take stock of your life? How often do you think through the actions of your past day, evening, week? I mean, how did you use your tongue? How did you handle yourself at work? How did you handle your pleasure time? What have you done on the computer? How have you sacrificed or not for others? How have you spent your money? How often do you just take inventory of how you're currently living? Or let me take it a step deeper and more difficult. How often do you think about your thought life? I mean, how often do you actually think, what am I thinking about? Uh, where does my mind drift in the moment that it's unoccupied? I mean, do I struggle with lust? Do I struggle with anger and bitterness and resentment? Do I find myself always grinding an axe on a certain person in my life? You know, in our modern world, the idea of sin and guilt has been abandoned, basically. And this idea of confession and repentance, it's, that's maybe a little bit of regret, maybe a little bit of lapse in judgment. The psalmist gives us words that we can go to God when we feel that sense of dirtiness, that we've done something. We know we shouldn't have done it. We knew we shouldn't have done it before we did it. We did it anyways. And we feel that sense of just filth, hypocrisy, distance from God. This is what you need right here. You pull out Psalm 130. You look at Psalm 32. You ask for forgiveness. 
you seek his full redemption. He doesn't say partial redemption. He says full redemption. And when you read these Psalms, you look at them with the lens of the cross. Now, if you're a, new, if you're a Christian here, these Psalms take on a weight due to the fact that the Son of God has actually paid for sins. It wasn't a promissory note. If you're in the Old Testament, you, you, it was a proleptic salvation. You had to look ahead to see that, yeah, I believe it's going to come. For us, we're on the other side. We look back and say, it has come. It has been paid in full. Redemption can be given. Forgiveness can be offered. So these are, these are beautiful psalms. I think about in, in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, it comes right out of Psalm 32. So, so that's a language you need to have as a worshiper. We need to have the language of praise. We need to have the language of lament. We need to have the language of thanksgiving. We need to have the language of confession. Now, there are many other psalms. I'm only going to give you one more. There are wisdom psalms. There are enthronement psalms. There are royal psalms for the king. But I'm going to, I'm going to end on this psalm of trust. This psalm of trust is a beautiful psalm. It, it's for us as we face struggles and hardships in life. These psalms are giving us language to not fall in faith before a trial, but we're asking God, we're putting our hope in God. In these psalms, you often see language, metaphors, like shepherd and rock and fortress and refuge. These, these, this terminology that kind of emboldens us and encourages us. Let me read to you. Just a few. In Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who makes the Lord his trust. Or Psalm 27. The Lord is my light, my salvation. This is a psalm that a good friend of our family's years ago, she's since passed and gone to be with God, she was in a troubled marriage, troubled marriage for years. Philanthropist husband, and just a troubled marriage, and she would turn to the psalm over and over and over again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Or Psalm 62, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. How long will you attack a man to batter him? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. He's, he's identifying his enemies. But my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He is my rock and salvation. So think about all the things that you can fear. Maybe that you are fearing right now. What do you fear right now, actually? I, I mean, do, do you fear, is, is it a health crisis that you're approaching? Is it, is it a job uncertainty? Is it a relationship that is just constantly troubled that you fear it will never get better? Is it, is it a financial situation? What do you fear most? 
And, and these psalms are given to you. So you have language, you have words to approach God. Take your fear and place it before this great God and find his grace by his spirit to fill you with a confidence that is not yours. You know, it's, I think about when we look at, at our world, we tend to, you know, with this elections year coming, uh, election time coming up, you know, we can look at government to be the answer to the fears that we have. There's a lot of fear in our land. We look to government, or perhaps uh, we look to our spouses. Perhaps you're, you're newly married, and you want to see in your spouse everything that you need for security and significance. Or perhaps you're sick, and you're, you're looking, but I, got, I have this one special doctor. He's an expert in this area. Now, please don't hear me incorrectly. Uh, we are to utilize the means of grace available to us. So I don't, I don't sit there and say, let go and let God. That's not, that's, I, don't, I don't affirm that at all. We utilize the means of grace. We just don't trust in the means of grace. We put our hope in God that, that these things may be worthwhile to invest time in, but that's not where our hope right. It's not where the anchor is set. The anchor is set in every day. If you have a fear right now, every day you're appealing to the psalm. I'm going to put my anchor in the power of God to deliver. I'm going to rest in his ability. You know, that's what Jesus did. So when Jesus is hanging on the cross, if you remember, at the very end, right, the, the religious leaders come up to him and they begin to mock him. And they say he trusted in God. Let God deliver him. Well, he did and he did. He did trust in God and God did deliver him. This, this mockery of trust in God. This is what we come to this psalm to put our hope and trust in God. So, so, these are the, just trying to get you familiar with these psalms, psalms of praise and lament and thanksgiving and confession and trust. Now, let me help you just for a few minutes grow more fluent in these, more fluent. What should we do with this? In other words, I'm asking you to pray them, pray them. Sorry, I'm ahead of myself. Read them, read them. I think I just have a repeating issue. It's a stuttering problem I'm dealing with. Please don't laugh at me. But read them, read them. Every day, read them. If you read one psalm a day, you'll read them twice in a year. If you read five in a day, you read them every month. Now, Billy Graham would read five psalms and one proverb every day. And so 12 times a year, he would cover psalms and proverbs. It's a great habit to get into. Read them slowly. But when you read them, read them sensitive to the literary form that they come in. So in other words, if it's a psalm of confession, then utilize it as a time of confession. If it's a psalm of thanksgiving, think back, think back on what God has done and thank him. If it's a psalm of praise, then spend a few minutes. Go outside, look at creation, or, or look at what he's done, or how he sustained the church. So be sensitive to the form. And, and when you do read them, read them historically. Recognize that some of the psalms are related to Israel. Deliverance from Exodus or deliverance from their enemies. Now, you will never need Exodus from Egypt, I don't believe. But what the Psalms remind us is the faithfulness of God to deliver. So wherever you are, that same faithful God is able to deliver and rescue you. So read them with uh, historical context, but also read them prophetically. And what I mean by that is read them as if Jesus has fulfilled them. That's what he says in Luke 24, 44. He says, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, let me explain this for a minute. This is a little confusing, can be confusing. Uh, The Psalms aren't so much, well, let me say this. The Psalms speak about Jesus. They speak about Jesus, not in a predictive way, more what we would say in a typological way. In other words, what the Psalms show us finds its fullness in Christ. So, for example, in Psalm 1 that was read, you know, who can read that psalm and feel like, oh, that's me? Or Psalm 24, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Can anybody step right up and say, I'm Psalm 24? No, it's teaching us truth. But in Jesus, he has fulfilled that. All of these psalms find their perfect bloom in Christ. Not just his person, but but his work. Like in Psalm 2, it's a psalm about the kingdom and the anointed bringing God's kingdom. Well, Jesus has fulfilled that. He is the king. Now, many of these songs that you'll read about kings, about various kings, particularly David, they were written about a human king. But that psalm will find its perfect completion in Christ. Only Psalm, I would probably argue, only Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 would be purely prophetical. In other words, they were written for Christ. But the rest of these psalms that have some royal language in them, they're bloomed and fulfilled in Christ. So they speak about Christ, but they're also spoken by Christ. Right? So Jesus spoke these psalms. Now this is important. You know, when he was betrayed by Judas, he quotes Psalm 41. When he's mocked, he quotes Psalm 69. When he's on the cross facing death, he quotes Psalm 22. When his last breath, the last thing he says, he's facing death, he quotes Psalm 31. So he's speaking the Psalms. And and that's important for us because he's experiencing all the experiences that you and I will ever have in life. He experienced these things in his life. So now when we read the Psalms and our experience, they're married up with the one who has come to deliver us. There's an identification Jesus is making with us. And when you read these Psalms, you think he felt that. He was tempted as you and I are, and yet without sin. So it encourages us. It strengthens us. So so first, read the Psalms. Secondly, learn from the Psalms. Learn from them. Ask the Psalm. Say, what does this teach me about God? that I can give him praise for, that I can move in trust over. What does it teach me about God? The Psalms will teach you about the kingdom of God, power of God, the government of God, the Messiah of God, the judgment of God, the salvation of God. How will that lead me to praise him, to trust him, to thank him? But not just they teach about God, they teach about us. Ask yourself the question, what is this revealing about me and my life that I need to change? How can I repent? What what does this teach me about myself? Maybe I don't have a pure heart. Maybe I don't have clean hands. So I'm going to repent before God. I'll read Psalm 32. So they reveal things about us. And it also reveals stuff to us about life. You often quote Psalm 39, which is, Show me my life's end. Let me see how fleeting my life is. Let me see that I'm a phantom, that I'm a mere hand breath. It's reminding me of the brevity of life. When I read that psalm, I take that day different. I, I think different about the day. 
The day is, I'm like grass, here today and gone tomorrow. So so learn about life from these psalms. And and then thirdly, I would say pray the psalms. Pray them. If you're caught in sin, turn to a psalm of lament or a confession. If you're struggling over frustration with God, be honest and, and turn to a psalm of lament and speak to God about your despair and plead to him for deliverance and de- declare your trust in him. I mean, pray them. If you're happy, turn to a psalm of praise. I love when, when, when God has healed a person or delivered a person from some issue, I love turning to a psalm of thanksgiving and just read it for him. Read it to him. Read it to yourself. Just pray them. And then, and then fourth and last, I would say counsel people with them. You know, speak to people with the language of the Psalms. You know, many of us don't know what to say when we walk into a hospital room. Maybe bad news has been delivered. We have no idea what to say. Now, usually that's a good start right there. Generally, just throw dust on your head for a while. Don't say anything. Uh, but, but other times we feel a need. You know, we, as, particularly as Americans, we feel a need to say something. And so we come out with lines that we just regret later, you know, with, gee, God must love you to give you this trial, or, well, you've got to just consider this one of all joy, even though they've been dealt a terminal notice or something. You know, you just got to have joy. You know, that's what it says in the Bible. Well, if they're struggling, then st- struggle with them. But by reading the psalm, God, why do you feel so far off? Just turn to a psalm and read it. Or or if they're in fear, before we tell them how God's Calvary is going to come deliver them, maybe for a minute, weep with them. And then then read a psalm together. You are my light and my salvation, I will not fear. You are about me. So it gives us words to help speak to people in difficult situations. So we have these psalms here. I just wanted to simply make you familiar with them. These psalms of praise and thanksgiving and lament and confession and trust. And then to grow fluent in them is to to read them. That's all I'm encouraging you. Read one a day. That's what I do for my family. I read one psalm. I take the contents of that psalm and I pray it for my family. I just, wherever the psalm's driving me, I just bring the family and I just put them in the contents of the song. And I, I pray for them. So pray them. Oh, sorry, read them and then um, learn from them and then pray them and then also uh, counsel with them. So let's take a minute now and just give thanks to God for his word. Maybe this has convicted you. You haven't read the scriptures. Then repent. He knows it. Ask him for grace. If you are frustrated, then express that to him reverently. And then uh, an elder will close us in prayer.